And we're live. Welcome back. Hey, are you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans? It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So I, I do want you to know that we did have proof of life. Nick Garber is still alive. He looks like an old man hunched over with all the work they're putting on him, but maybe it'll slow down eventually and we can get him back on the show. We do have a prepped and recorded interview of him where we talk about one of his upcoming. Um, well, we're saving we're saving that for when you guys really don't believe us anymore. Well, we're also saving that because it's going to be paired with a Kickstarter to, to fund this bad boy. So unfortunately, it's kind of hard to draw when work has you working like a bazillion hours a week. So but we promise you we do have proof of life, dear listener. All right. So now that we got that out of the way to prove the third third veteran actually exists out there somewhere in the ether, we're going to let uh, Mr. Christian Calais, the uh, extraordinary cover designer and teller of tales and worder of words. Mr. Chris, can you introduce yourself? Hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Christian Calias. Uh, I'm 46 years old, born in Switzerland, currently in Greece, and I'm a science fiction author, mostly space opera. Um, um, working on Universe in Flames, that's my main series. Uh, I have another two series, Far Beyond and Rewind, though that one, we may touch on, on it, but it's hardly worth mentioning, let's say. It's not, a, it's not been doing well. It's the only series that didn't actually make any money, per se. Well, maybe yeah, that's because cool. it's one of my favorite stories, but that's how it goes. Yeah, well, maybe this will help it. So if you don't downplay it, and you'd be like, it's really good, and you should check it out. And if you haven't, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you. So the second part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So I actually uh, was walking into the 20 Books to 50K conference in 2018, uh, heavily medicated to deal with a large number of people. I think there was more people than are at Dragon Con, because there was like 2,000. So <laughs> your math skills suck. Public school, baby, public school math. So uh, I saw him sitting at the back with Not the there to see 20 books. Everybody in Atlanta is pretty much there to see Dragon. You hush. So I saw him in the back of the room when I was, you know, sort of staying in the back and uh, he was drawing on a tablet. So I started talking to him because it looked pretty cool. And uh, it, it sort of still baffles my mind that someone that tells the words also can draw the art because most of the time those two skills don't intersect. So uh, and we stayed in touch since then, and he's done a couple covers for me. And so when he had a, a sale coming up tomorrow, I knew we had to get him on the show. So that way you could hear about it and then get some free books because that's how we roll. So how did you find him, Doc? Were you hiding in the shadows? Uh, you Christ? asked me how I feel about Greek, and I went, Greek food's great. And you went, how about Greek authors? And I went, <laughs> okay. I thought we were talking food. I'm hungry. That, that's so, often how our conversation go goes. Greek food for dinner. Um, I'm, I, power of suggestion is strong with my stomach. I can appreciate that. Yeah, so, so every you... time we have Davis on the show, I eat Indian food. So when you were in um, Vegas, did you try the, the American version of Greek food? And if so, what did you think? Do you really want to know? Yes, we really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and uh, stay polite, but uh, it's not, not Greek, Greek food. food. Yeah. The next one is we got to find an Italian author. We can ask him what they think of Olive Garden. Not even, not even any kind of clothes. I tried uh, three restaurants, uh, mostly in the Bay Area. Um, the uh, the owners were really nice. They spoke Greek, so we 
that was fine. I was like, okay, well, I speak Greek. They're going to know how to cook Greek, but uh, no. No, it's, um, I think they, there's too many differences. There's too many ingredients that you guys don't have. And uh, like what you guys, what, what the rest of the world, not just uh, the, US, the USA, what the rest of the world calls pita bread and what we call pita bread are two different breads, completely different breads. So you can find pita outside of Greece. I have never found real pita outside of Greece. The only times I did was in a restaurant in Geneva, where I'm, that's where I, I, I was born, which is also a Greek restaurant. But And I asked him, I said, how, how come do you have real pita? He says, it's because once a month, either myself or another one of the, of the waiters is going to go to Greece and they're going to bring a bunch with them and we're going to freeze them and that way we always have them uh, in the restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen that with Mexican food. Um, I used to live on the border and, uh, for example, and mole is one of my favorite things. I can't find mole in Atlanta worth eating. So I, I totally understand. Well, Greek I think food from Greece is very different. Even but good. Even if you have all the ingredients, it's one of those things where, like, I learned this because I like to go to micro brews, and there's a one that's called Tap House, which is, in theory, it's a um, chain one, but they brew it on the site. And just going in two different cities, and you'll notice the beer tastes different because the water is different, like the different chemical makeups in the local water. And that that's why people say you can't get New York pizza from Chicago and vice versa. It's because the water that they use is going to add flavor to it. So Make that makes sense that the, the ingredients would change that. Yeah, There's a a company called I think Chattanooga Stillhouse and they have three different brewery distilleries throughout the state of Tennessee and they will sell single barrels that are just from that one and then they'll they'll do a blended one that's from all three because they are different and that like one time I think I had, I had a friend who went to all three of them Feel true. she's a little into her, her whiskeys you might know her there's nothing wrong with that so, all right, Doc, we got to ask him the religion question and see if he gets to stay. Okay. Not that we've ever actually kicked anyone out. You never have. You're, you're all bark and no bite. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly, which would be your religion? Well, all three of them pretty much in that order. <laughs> that works. So he, he's, uh, he's polytheistic, I, I take it. I, I can approve. The whole yeah. eternity. So... Now for the fantasy ones, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Potterverse? Lord of the Rings, for sure. Um, yeah. I've seen I've seen I've seen Game of Thrones. I haven't read the books. I've seen Game of Thrones and I've seen also the movies, uh, uh, the Harry Potter movies. Uh, I've enjoyed GOT all the way until the last two seasons, especially the last one. Let's the, <laughs> the less said the better. Yes. I'm gonna say that. That's probably some of the most Horrible writing I've ever. I have a friend who's yeah. honestly can. She just goes, no, there's only six seasons. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. Because <laughs> there's agree only that. six seasons. Yeah, it's a shame because all the way up until then, that, that was probably the, some of the best television ever, and it just all crum crumbled and, and and died right there and so quickly. So that was a that was a shame. Uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, big 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 fan of uh, that universe, and uh, and uh, what Peter Jackson did with the movie was was awesome. I'm a little bit less enthusiastic with the with the Hobbit. I think they were fine movies, but they don't they don't uh, 
they don't compare with uh, with the with the trilogy with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in my opinion. I've read all the books and I have seen all of the Lord of the Rings movies. I haven't gotten to the Hobbit yet, although we did just buy the the videos. But uh, what do you think about? I think it was Amazon or Netflix. I can't remember what streaming service, but somebody it's bought Amazon. It. Lord of the Rings. It's Amazon. Yeah. Do you, are you excited about that, or what do you think? The new TV worried is, more, worried is more the word, but uh, <laughs> in terms in terms of budget, that's a, Amazon is a good thing. When you see what they did with the last two seasons of uh, The Expense, you're like, okay, they definitely have the budget to do amazing things. But uh, I kind of followed a little bit a few YouTubers that are talking about the project. How many? I think they restarted like once or twice already. They're, they're having issues with that production. Oh, okay. Is it because of COVID or is it something else? Oh, I think it's, um, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on the sub subject, but I heard that they fired the, like half or more of half of the writing team and they started over. So it's kind of, uh, I don't think it's going smoothly. That's all I know. I don't have all the details, but that doesn't sound promising, let's say. No, no, it doesn't. No, it, it, it sounds, but you know, you never know because Ant-Man came out and it was great and it had a shit ton of production problems. I mean, they went through like, I think two directors, several different producers. The fact that um, the main character, while well, he, the main actor, he contracted for a Marvel movie, but then he was like, I didn't want to do Ant-Man though. So, I mean, um, and it came out and it did really well. So, and I, I was really pleased with it. So maybe, maybe fingers crossed. Maybe they can turn it around. That's what you're telling me. But I'm also always worried whenever they're like, stuff of a book. Yeah, but you got burned by the Anne McCaffrey stuff. So no, I got burned by like the, the game of Thrones stuff. I've gotten burned by so many of them. Uh, practical oh. magic. There you go. Oh, true. All I will say is at least Fox didn't get it because that is where good ideas go to die. Yes. Yes. Still, they, still not over Terra, Terra Nova. My me neither. And they, they did. It's like they didn't want Firefly to work because they didn't air it in order. They, 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 they just killed the sh that show from the get go. The marketing for it was awful. I mean, nothing went right with uh, with Firefly. They talk all the time about coming back, but unless they're going to redo it, which I'm not really ever a fan of. I no, think no, 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 no. Their fans talk all the time of them coming back. Well, the actors, yeah. uh, Nathan Fillion has talked about it with the guy that played Wash, I think. I can't remember that actor. Yeah, that's because Nathan Fillion doesn't, is no longer doing that ABC show that he was doing for a while. Uh, Castle? I think it's the rookie. Castle, yeah. He didn't, do, he didn't really talk about it much when he was doing Castle, so... Um, but yeah, the uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those ones you either do the before story because we could find out about the brown coat war before Mal was involved, or you could go after in the aftermath. I prefer when they do movies that way instead of just trying to reboot it and play on nostalgia. Like take the universe forward or go backwards. But yeah, yes, but Walsh can't go forward. Too soon, Doc. Too soon. <laughs> you know, I don't even mind that characters die. Like I've certainly killed my fair share and. Like, I just thought it was the way they did it was it just felt so well, that was kind of like an epic yet bittersweet death though. Yeah, but it just felt so I don't know, they could have given it more meaning, like if he had sacrificed himself at the end, like give it a little gravitas. But no, it's just like, yeah, something happened, he died. Got lucky on the dice roll. No, it, it was completely like you roll an uh, roll a natural twenty and then you rolled a one. That's what yeah, that but, 
I, I just feel like with what they built up, maybe it's hindsight bias because we're looking at it knowing that was the end and they maybe didn't, but it felt like they should have made it have more meaning. You know, that's where the, the sacrificing could have come from. Unfortunately, that's not always how it works. No, it's not. But, you know, in fiction, we should make it the way we want it to work. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. not how calories burn either. But speaking of fiction, <laughs> it's like take pot shots at JR. Um, I will kill you in your sleep. You'd have to read the map and find me. Um. So what was your first memory of engaging in the speculative fiction genre? Was it... Um. That's actually books. I would say probably anime uh, at a young age. Um, Dragon Ball Z, Saint Seiya, which I don't think didn't really work in the U.S. Uh, no, I, I know it. Okay, well, but not too many people do. Like it doesn't have the same gravitas as Dragon Ball Z, where in Europe it pretty much had. So especially France and Spain. I mean, we're there. Italy, we're crazy, crazy fans of Saint Seiya. And um, I guess that started back then. I, uh, I got introduced to role-playing game when uh, probably I was like 14 or 15 and loving both the aspect of role-playing games and uh, anime and manga in general, I started writing as a game master. I started writing these stories left and right to, I even created rule books for Dragon Ball Z and Sensei uh, role-playing games when I was, uh, when I was, uh, a teenager so that's i guess that's where it started um my love for dragon ball z also made it that i made a few i don't know maybe dozens of pages of uh, my own stories with these characters um i uh when i was that young 16 17 probably 18 also i had that silly idea that maybe one day i'll be the next uh, akira toriyama but uh, obviously that did not uh, <laughs> come true it's a a great goal to have but i don't think there will ever be one quite like that no i don't think so either i don't i don't think so either um so i've kept drawing a lot of dragon ball z over the years and eventually i uh kind of crafted my own style let's say it's basically 90 the 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 dna of that is 95 percent toriyama still but i made like a few things to Say it's a little bit different, but uh, yeah. Um, and then I went to video games, and around in my twenties, I tried uh, creating a, a real-time strategy game in the vein of StarCraft, Warcraft, StarCraft, but with manga characters with Dragon Ball Z types powers. I still have sprites uh, somewhere on my hard drives of all the little guys running around and 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 doing things. Um, I worked two ye- over two years with uh, with a team on that. Uh, it never went anywhere. We never passed the NDA stage with any with any uh, uh, publishers. Uh, the The game was supposed to be Retaliate, and somehow that's kind of the predecessor of Universe in Flames. I mean, a lot of ideas came from back then. So I was, I wrote the story for that as well. Um, so I would say between age sixteen and twenty five is where I wrote stories but that weren't intended to ever be books. Okay. Okay. So uh, normally you would hear Doc's voice asking these questions and the way we split it, but I'm going to have to circle back Jen Saggy style because uh, Doc's not paying attention or six is too hard of a number for her. 
But uh, which was your first love? Was it sci-fi or fantasy? I think the first one was fantasy, definitely. Because of the RPGs, I started with Dungeons and Dragons. So I think that's that cemented. Uh, I mean, I can I will always remember the first session I had because uh, it was an expert game master that has been doing that for years and years, and he set the mood. I mean candlelight and everything and when his cat jumped on the table we thought we had a heart attack and i was like 16 or 17 so or even maybe 15. so yeah the, we were really deep into the story he was uh he, he captured the 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 essence of what makes role playing absolutely awesome so i would say fantasy and i read books um, uh, I'm not a big reader. I know that's a, usually that's a shocker when for an author to not be a big reader. But I read more fantasy when I was younger. So uh, Michael Moore, Moorcock, mostly most of his work I read. But uh, um, uh, and then little by little, I uh, I went to science fiction uh, in terms of books. And it's mostly it's mostly when when I did the switch from being completely the complete uh, manga or anime or otaku that I was uh, to Star Trek. I've always loved Star Wars and I was watching the movies three or five times a year, but one of my friends introduced me to Star Trek. And um, when that happened, uh, I basically went like, well, I love Dragon Ball Z to, well, I love Star Trek. And uh, I made that switch. It doesn't mean that I don't love Dragon Ball Z still, but uh, if I had to choose one now, uh, that would be science fiction. It would be Star Trek. It would be Star Wars. I mean, it would be that that genre. Like if I if I could only take either a genre on a desert island, be it sci-fi or uh, or anime, that today at least it would be sci-fi. Back then it would be, it was anime, no questions asked. Like my entire life, I was sure anime would never be anything but first on my list but no actually my 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 tastes uh, shifted so what do you what is it about speculative fiction that you love so much well i think what what i love so much is that uh especially sci-fi fantasy or space fantasy which is i write space opera but it's more space fantasy because i put so many fantasy elements and so much mythology into my books that actually, I think space fantasy is more accurate than space opera. Even though I, marketing-wise, I tend to use space opera because I think some people don't react the right way to space fantasy. Um, uh, I think space fantasy that, is getting bigger, though, but it's just hard for people to figure it out. Yes, probably that's why. Space opera is more like people get a better, I think, mental image when you say space opera than when you say space fantasy. And um, in these universes, you pretty much kind of create whatever rules you want. And I think, um, I don't know if it's the rebel in me or whatever, but I've always liked not being tied up to specific rules. And I, um, I think that's what I appeal to me is that I can write whatever I want. I can write the types of books that I've never read. The reason why I wrote in Universe in Flames is because I don't think any I've ever read a book like this, so that's why I wrote it. I think, um, speaking of the space fantasy versus space opera, I think part of that is 
uh, space opera has just been a, a genre that people relate to for longer. And then when you had the indie revolution and Amazon came along selling books, you started seeing an expansion of the subgenres. Like the ideas really already existed, but the idea that you would catalog them that way, because instead of having a bookshelf where you have limited room, like at a Barnes and Noble, see Elvis agrees, uh, you ended up with an unlimited digital space. And so you could get more narrow and more niche. And some of the readers just haven't caught up with that, I think. Well, that's because if you're working on a bookshelf, you don't want to put a book in like three or four different places. You want to put all of the books of the same title together with their friends and then ID. So she's biased Ideally, because... you put the books with their other series. And if you're me, you do them all in order of the series. Uh, she's biased because she used to work for Barnes & Noble. So she's not... Okay. I am. Uh, Bezos, our, our lord and savior. <laughs> it normally gets dirty looks for her. Uh, I don't make money from Bezo. Maybe I'd like him better if he gave me a paycheck. I don't know, but uh, I love Barnes and Noble, and I love the ability to go in and buy a book in person. It's not the same. I tend to buy ninety percent of my books either at cons or in. I buy ninety to ninety-five percent of my books in person. So is that quest? This is gonna be a little bit of a derail, but Christian in uh, in Greece and in Geneva, where you're at, are they more? Uh, physical copy, or do they do more of their reading through ebooks? Uh, I think uh, I think now probably more ebooks, but there's still some places, there's still some shops who who sell physical. But uh, um, also, you're gonna have the local stuff, and most of the stuff is gonna be in French. And well, there's nearly not as many authors and as we have in English. You'll find some English, some libraries having English books, obviously, because uh, uh, a lot of people speak English in uh, in Switzerland, at least. Uh, Greece also, I guess, a little bit in Athens, maybe. Uh, where in Switzerland, uh, Geneva, Zurich, I mean, these uh, English is uh, almost like a, a part of the language. If you in Switzerland, as you know, there's French, German, and Italian as the main languages. Is one that's pretty much dead, I think, called Romanche, which is a mixture, weird mixture of all three. But um, English is more of a fourth language for for these places or for Switzerland than than that dead languages. So you'll find you'll find books uh, in specialty stores. So libraries are not that many now with the Amazon and all the digital revolution, um, and uh, that's the same in Europe, uh, I think. In Greece, I would say though it's. I think people are more used with the paper books still. Okay. I think they're they're more used with the with, with the physical book, uh, but I don't know enough readers in these areas. That's the thing. Most of my friends are speaking French or Greek, and uh, they their English isn't nearly good enough for them to read the to read my work. So. Sometimes I give them a copy anyway, but uh, I don't think they're read it or not cover to cover. At least they have an excuse. When I give people my books and they don't read them, they just because they don't want to read them. <laughs> I, know that too. I know that too, because uh, if there's one person in my family who is actually good enough to read the books is my brother. And uh, his excuse is that he's going to wait for the show or TV or, the, or movie series. So. At least it's a vote of confidence. I'll take it. <laughs> true, true, true. So many authors let their uh, real life experiences sort of influence the stories they tell. So were there any moments that sort of, do you believe shaped you as a storyteller? 
I don't know if that applies. Um, what shapes me as a storyteller or what made me become an author, there's a story behind that, if that's what you mean. Yes. Sure. Yes. All right. So it was 2014. I was uh, at uh, IT consultant job. Most of my life I've been in IT and uh, I burned out uh, really bad, actually. I was uh, on that on the specific day where everything just crumbled. My entire life basically fell into pieces. Uh, I didn't even want to. I wasn't sure there would be a next day. If you catch my drift. And when the dust settled, and I tried to understand uh, the nervous break that breakdown because that's what I experienced—a nervous breakdown. Uh, one thing got loud and clear was you've always been uh, someone creative and IT is not a, at least the work that I was doing is not a creative kind of job. I was always doing these creating things on the side like uh, manga, anime, video games, uh, books I had barely started. Uh, I had started a book back in 2002, but uh, it was something that I was visiting every blue moon or something. and. I would just like spend the night writing it and then not touch it for another year or two. So when that happened, actually, uh, I felt a strong push to not just deal with the aftermath of the burnout, because obviously I, uh, I got under medication, I, watched, I went to a shrink, I lost my job. I mean, all sorts of things happened from the burnout. And um, one thing got, that was the clearest is that I need to be creative. So I just dusted off that 40% of a book that I had, which was already called uh, uh, Earth Last Century. It might have been called Earth Final Century or something, but I changed it to Last Century. And I finished the book uh, probably within the first draft, probably within five or six weeks after the burnout. It went pretty fast thinking that from 2002 all the way to 2014, I had like barely 40% of a book. And in six weeks, I just finished the, the, the draft. And um, then it took a while longer for me to understand how it works. Will I try and find a publisher? Will I go at it on my own? Is it even an option? And Google is your friend. So I Googled and I, oh, apparently you can be your author on your own. You don't need anybody to do that which was fine with me because there was one thing that before I would even print a manuscript and send it to a publisher, there was already one thing that I knew would not work with me is that I don't like being told what to do. Like in almost any as any facets of life, nobody tells me what to do. So, so if they're gonna come back and say, we don't like that character or we don't like that scene, that wouldn't fly with me. So when I, when I saw that I could actually just release whatever I want on the way I want it. I said, that's a no brainer. I'm not, I'm not even, uh, even going to try, try, uh, try publishing. I'm going to go straight to indie. So, so what I did. That's a, you know, uh, I'm laughing because a lot of authors I know, um, they'll be like, oh, no, 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 I can take direction. I'm like, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> it's, it's like hurting, hurting a wild group of animals. Um, so, but transitioning. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. the, uh, I will say it's not as unusual as you think. I, I know I've met lots of authors who started their creative writing as sort of therapy. Okay. Uh, they, even, they even teach classes at the VA, uh, the Veterans Administration, uh, writing as therapy for people with PTSD because that's how I started. So, so it's not that unusual to do it that way. It's just unusual when you publicly admit it. Okay. <laughs> we'll tell you the fiction. Oh, I've wanted to be an author since I was in the womb. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. It sounds good on a postcard, yes. but... It's kind of the last thing I, for me, it's kind of the last medium where I imagine my storytelling would take place. Like I said, I thought it would be either a visual, graphical novel, comic book, whatever, video game, but I never expected books because like I said, I'm not such a big reader. So I didn't expect to, to, to use words as my medium, but well, probably, yes. Oh, I was going to say, I've, I've, I've talked to a number of authors who say as they've start, started writing more, they read less because you have time, you can do one or the other. And unfortunately, you cannot do them both at once or you get some weird jangle mess. True. Unless but... you go back to kindergarten and have someone read the stories to you when you go on your walks. She makes fun of my audio habit. That's how I, I listen. Don't to make fun of your audio habit. I make fun of your math skills. That too. But yeah, I do mostly audio when I walk because that's how I fit in my book reading because I'm so busy. See, I do audio but at work, so I don't make fun of you for that. Just your math skills. I went to public school. It's not my fault. <laughs> All right. I, I also do audiobooks when I'm – but even so, even with audiobooks, I noticed I am – I'm going to maybe listen to one, two, or three a year tops. I'm never going to find or dedicate the time to it. But the thing is – the argument is correct. Uh, uh, when you write, you don't have as much time as you had before for write, for for reading. But I wasn't reading even before I was writing. That's yeah. the thing. I probably, I don't know. I, I I cannot give you a number, but I wouldn't be surprised if I read maybe maximum 150 books in my life. That's not many. No, maybe two. Okay. I don't know. Because I, I haven't kept count, but I know I know people who read a book a week. So obviously, they've read hundreds or thousands of books some people i know read three books a week um I, I have a mother who i joke that she is a book slut she reads books she could finish a book like a 250 page book she can finish it in a day okay like she she's like insane whereas i can take a month so i understand but transitioning from writing and talking about things kind of from the fun fan angle, what is your weirdest or funniest interaction you've had since you started writing? Uh, can you can you just repeat the question? I'm not sure I, I got it. Okay. So what was the weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you've started writing? Uh, with a fan, with a fan, okay. Um, with a fan, uh, I, uh, there, I have a very, I have a, few fans that became uh, friends that we got, we we email each other uh some of them on the even text each other and there's one especially that sent me uh is uh, is pickles actually he does awesome pickles uh, sweet pickles they're the best i've ever had and he sent me twice already uh um uh, a batch two, two batches already so oh, nice. yeah that's nice the only problem is that uh um I live in Greece, he lives in the USA, and the, the 
postage is just insane. So that's not something you can do. Like he would like to send me more. It's just that sending me a couple of jars of pickles, he's probably paying like 80 bucks just to send me these these things. So that's, uh, I'm very thankful, but uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit of a problem with the transport. We should bring you to the States for a con. Have you come to the States for a con? And then he can send you lots of pickles while you're at the con. One time in you in the US. When I came when I came for 20 books, I was in the US. So the first one, the first batch sent me in the US. The second batch I was in Greece, so he sent it in Greece. That's why there's probably not gonna be a third batch. But he sent the exact same thing as you. He said, next time you're in Vegas, I'm gonna bring you more. <laughs> oh, uh, homemade pickles are amazing. They're much better than anything you get in the store. For sure. And and I think pickles are a, a definitely. I mean, have, throughout history in the world, people pickled things, but pickles seem to be a very U.S. common thing these days. So we don't here. Here we have in France, we, they have the ones they call cornichons, which are but they're they're in brine, oh, yeah. so they're not sweet. They're not sweet at all. And oh yeah, that's thing. When I I first experienced the American pickle in 2017, and I was like. Why does my vegetable taste like candy? So I was like, I was surprised. <laughs> that is a very sweet pickle. Then. So JR said that he met you through drawing on your tablet. So that means yes. you're an artist and you do, uh, um, you make, do you make, Sorry. And how did you get into kind the of doing that? Got and, and I, I had like a, not even a third of the question after tablet. What, do you, what did you say? Oh, and so JR saw you writing tablets, uh, working on your tablet. How did you get into doing the visual arts aspect of it? And he said that you make cover art. Oh, okay. That's also, there's also a funny story behind that. It's a, um, I had never, ever intended on making my own book covers. That was never the plan. When once I finished Earth Last Century, I went on Divine Art and I looked for art artists and I was like, okay, that's gonna be my first book. It's my baby. I want the cover to be the best it can ever be. I don't care how much it costs, it just have to be the best. And I looked for hours and hours and hours, and I found an artist that I thought uh, matched well with what I wanted, and I gave him the commission. And months passed, first one, then two, then three, then four, then five. And after five months, I was like, well, that's kind of delaying the, the launch of my book. So where are we at with the cover? And there were every, along that period of time, there were many excuses. Uh, my car broke down, my boiler broke down, something else broke down. And eventually I said, that seems a little weird that every time I ask you where we're at with the cover, uh, something breaks down uh and he came he came clean and he said well i have too many commissions and but i'm going to do your cover i'm going to do your cover and it didn't match the scene i had in my in my head for earth last century and back then i was an author who wanted at least for earth last century i wanted that scene and nowadays i'm way more relaxed i just want the cover to look badass i don't mind whatever. It doesn't matter whether it matches what's in the book or not anymore. But back then, I was like, I think many authors will recognize themselves. They they want to they have a specific uh, image for their cover. So I actually knew one author who got his cover art, went back and rewrote a scene in the book to match the cover art. Oh yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, I've heard that too. More than once actually. 
when and 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 on on a couple of covers I've delivered, I I, I heard the the author was like, oh, I'm going to rewrite the thing so it matches your. If you, I don't. I told him I don't think it's necessary, but whatever floats your boat. And um, so when it became clear that uh, I may not get the cover that I wanted, I wondered, could I do it myself? Because I had done I had done covers in the past for heavy metal and uh, heavy metal bands. We're talking 2004 until 2009. During that period, I was also uh, independent. I mean, self-employed, and uh, doing metal covers was one of these jobs. I was doing all sorts of, uh, of of things like websites, business cards, flyers, whatever, whatever graphical job I could find. And um, I was like, okay, well, you did metal CD covers, book covers another type of cover but it's true i had never tried much science fiction i was and and, and if uh, on my website where i sell the covers there's actually a, a gallery where you can see really old stuff that i did even those dragon ball z drawings we, we've mentioned and uh, uh, so that was mostly fantasy so i was used with that i had all and, and i was most and now let's say in the last 10 years most of my, or 15 years, most of my artwork is uh, digital. It's mostly 3D rendering. So I had all these assets for, for fantasy. I didn't have that many assets for sci-fi. So I bought a bunch of assets, like that mean scorpion-looking uh, ship on my first book. And I played around with the, 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 the apps, because some of these apps I hadn't used for 5, 7, 10 years. So I, I needed kind of a refresh course. So I went into it, and 100, 100 hours later, I think, I had a cover that I actually liked. But I went crazy with the, the details. The amount of details on that, on that cover is insane, meaning that you can zoom in and in and in and still see details on the ships where it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for a book cover. You don't need that amount of detail. Back then, I didn't know that, and being a little bit of a perfectionist, and having the time, because I was waiting for the artist to give me a new rendition and final rendition of his version of his version of the cover, I was like, well, what's, what's going to happen? He does his, I do mine, and I compare and I decide what to do. And his cover was dope. No questions about it. It had nothing to do with what I asked. But it was awesome looking. But he had changed so many things, like, for example, I wanted um, uh, an F-14 Tomcat, but a futuristic version of it in space, because that happens in my books. And the first cover that he made, he had made a perfect futuristic uh, space-capable Tomcat. So that was awesome. And then on the second cover, he just painted a Tomcat in space. And I was like, that's great, but it's the exact Tomcat that's in atmosphere. So this, yeah. That 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 it it, it the, the 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 ship fell. I mean the the ship, the fighters <laughs> felt out uh, out of place. So mm -hmm. on mine I inverted some some wings. I did the I did some stuff to make it look like it's a little bit modified at least. Anyway, so at the end of the day I uh, went with my cover uh, because I would never want to go back. I would never want to go through again. The, uh, the experience. The experience was awful for me because it delayed my launch for by three or four months easily. 
That's um, no fun because then you're not it, figuring out and it, it costed enough. It costed a, okay. I only ended up paying the, ha the 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 first half because I didn't take his artwork. He didn't ask me to pay the full thing, but it was yeah. still the full cover was over a thousand pounds, so that was not cheap. No. So yeah. So I was like, what 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 is going to be like? Let's say I have book two quick quickly ready. And uh, then I have to wait another three or six months, and so on and so forth. So I, I thought, I know that if I, I, I know that if I do it, I'll just put the hours that I need to to make to make it as fast and as good as it as I can. But I never ever intended for me to be my own artist. It just happened this way. I'm glad I stuck with it because I think I got way better over the years. And now I make covers like when I needed a hundred hours to do that cover today if I needed to do it from scratch, and even at that level of detail, probably in less than seven, eight hours, I, 10 hours tops, I would be done for that specific cover that has a ton of detail. I don't need, I know book covers don't need that much detail nowadays because they're gonna be so tiny on, on Amazon. What's the point of going? But seriously, if, you, if I get you the original file, which I think is 18,000 pixel by 10,000 pixel, oh, you just grab that thing and put it on a billboard, and you can still have to go near to see the detail. <laughs> so <laughs> you mentioned that um, you you do your uh, designs in a 3D rendering. So does that mean yeah. that you could generate STL files so someone could 3D print the models from your books? Yes, myself too, actually. But uh, the thing is... Have you 3D I, printed one of your model, your ships? Not yet. Uh, I tried printing one of them, I think. I did try to print one of them, but uh, uh, it didn't go super well, and I haven't painted or anything, on, painted it yet. It's, it's something on the back of my mind that I want to do. I, I do have a couple of printers here, so I, I want to do it. I want to take the time to actually print them. But most of these, um, most of these uh, models, they are not my models. I'm, I'm buying assets because mm -hmm. it's one thing to do the artwork, I mean, to do the, the, the cover. It's another to model your own ships. It's something that I want to do because I, I, I have some knowledge of 3D modeling. I did follow a couple of course for that back 15 years now. So I, it's something that I would like to do. It's just that then I would like to do my own video game and I would like to create my own spaceship and go to the stars. It's the, the, the difference between what I, what I want and what I have the time to do, actually. <laughs> yeah, that I understand. So I've seen um, um, article a couple years ago about how some of the most iconic spaceships in science fiction were created from like the artist seeing random items like a, you know, a remote control for a television and something else. And then they shaped it together and you got some of the Star Wars art. So have you let um, any random um, pieces like that inspire you? No, no, not not directly. But uh, what I did find funny that it's it's a, it's a little bit different. But I will say because uh, the way my brain works with like ADHD and stuff, when you said something like the ship that you see on Earth last century, the the first cover that Scorpion ship um, is actually in the show uh, Agents of Shield. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so they, they they basically grabbed the same model that I did. Uh, I bought it uh, on a, on a on a three D um, uh, website, uh, Renderosity, I think. Yeah, Renderosity. Back then, I bought that ship, and um, I used the original textures that came with it. Where in um, in uh, Agents of Shield, they retextured it completely to make it their own. So it's more dark with it's they have they have like a more 
black and green uh, uh, color scheme uh, for it. I think it's in the, I don't remember which season, but uh, one of the, probably not the last one. Yeah, it's, there's one really big ship. And uh, of, because I worked so many hours on, on that, I, I recognized it immediately. I was like, that's the model I used on Earth last century. <laughs> so that was awesome. Yeah, there's there's funny about that. Like some of the, the for a while, everyone was using the same Space Marine asset. For instance, it was on all the covers in the uh, 2016 era when I published my first one. And so everybody, it's like all the covers were the same. And then as everyone else got into like uh, professionally made, like original covers, I'm the only one with that art still out there that's really out there. So now it's retro. So that's one of those things where sometimes. Uh, things will come in and out of facet if fashion, and if you leave them long enough, then you become the cool one again. So true, true, true. <laughs> that that can, that can definitely happen. And uh, uh, because I bought hundreds of assets, I have hundreds of assets, thousands if we count everything that I have for fantasy uh, that I had purchased mostly for for metal covers. Um, uh, I do see ships coming. Like I'm like okay, that ship. I'm, I'm using that ship too. On some covers, I'm like. I have that ship too on, on my, in my covers. It's uh, it's just that it, it doesn't show. I mean, I think it's only somebody who used the model who's gonna recognize it because it, there's also the way you apply light to the scene. It's also the composition. It's also the position you decided, the, the, how you position your ship. That sometimes makes such a difference that uh, somebody's not gonna know that it's the same ship. I will immediately because when I bring it into the scene, I'm gonna rotate all over it until I find the right angle and then. My brain will remember it, and and just looking at the silhouette of it, I'm going to be oh, that's that model. So you do something a little different, I've noticed with yours. Uh, Mal Cooper teaches that uh, when he teaches, or she, excuse me, when she teaches some of the author classes, uh, that spaceship ass is what sells. So the back of the spaceships, what what she has on a lot of her covers. And I notice you do a lot more side profiles or even cockpit looking out profiles. Yes. So yes, what I makes you decide that route. Um. She said, don't find it so interesting to see the ass of the ship. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I mean, from that, no, I, have, I love it. It's hilarious. I have, I have, I have, I have uh, if you look at uh, the third book in the series, Destination Oblivion is the only one, I think, or and the fourth book also, where you have that angle where you see the reactors. And I spend a, a, a real long time crafting the best, uh, um, the best reactors, uh, uh, exhaust that I could but um, after these two I was like there's nowhere to go from I mean no what else can I do like it's gonna be the same thing with the the flames and the no so yes uh, doing the I mostly prefer the ship coming at the camera or on the side yeah I will do from time to time or on request I will do these uh, these as well but it's not my go-to that's true so Normally, we don't focus on things from like a writing angle. This is a podcast of, by, and for the fans. And so we tend not to get into the craft. But I think, you know, your art is fascinating because you stand out. You're, you're different. I can look through the Amazon page and I can tell you the covers you design. They stick out. Uh, we will link to your art page in the show notes so people can check it out. Uh, my internet is not good enough right now uh, with the weekend and everybody not being at work. So the signal is down. I, I can't get it up to, wow. Phrasing, I can't get the uh, the site to show for you. Doc, stop laughing. Stop laughing right now. You said it's it. a heavy site. It's a heavy site. It, it is, but it, the art is amazing in the file. So when I bought art from you and I used 
for short stories, for, from that angle, short stories tend not to sell enough that it makes sense to to pay for a unique cover, right? Uh, stock art is generally the way to go. And it doesn't even have to be that good, just good enough to get the point across. Not that I'm saying yours aren't that good. I'm just saying it's a minimum standard for a cover. Doc, stop laughing. I'm trying, all right? Um, but, you know, you've got a minimum standard you have to hit. Yep, you might, might as well eat the whole shoe while I'm at it, right? Um, so, so when I bought yours, I bought pre-made. But you have several packages of pre-made, and then you have um, commission art. So how does that work with your business? Well, uh, commission, I, rare, I rarely do commission. I will do commission. I will make a – what I usually do is I try to negotiate the, the, um, the level because I have bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And I will negotiate some sort of level, and that's the amount of detail I'm going to put into the, the, the cover. But I'm not going to go, f I've, I don't think I've went, there's only one author to, uh, to whom I do full commission, a couple of authors that I do full commissions with. So for them, it's like a, either we go platinum directly and I know that I'm going to do, I'm going to spend more hours and try and craft something that matches their vision. But I'm not going to be as, I mean, I am usually easy to work with, but I don't want to have to go over and over and iterate again and again and again because then, then you never finish. With, with there are there are some people who want the little thing, that little piece there, and that this this moon this moon should have been twelve degrees more to the side, and and I'm like, oh, okay, that's okay. It's, you, <laughs> you, you catch my drift, like it's yeah, no, uh, I see those. It's it's it, it, that kind of nitpick is the reason why I'm mostly. Business-wise, I'm mostly uh, 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 presenting my artwork as pre-mades. But what my uh, uh, future customers need to know is that I am actually easy to work with. Like if they are like, well, I would have preferred if the ship was the other way around and, and maybe the background wasn't so red and it was more of a blue background, then no problem. If it's something that I know I'm going to change in a half an hour, I'm not going to – it's not going to be a, a – a problem for me. I'm going to do it. It's just that sometimes some some commissions can can turn uh, uh, wrong because you keep adding stuff and adding stuff and sometimes even diminishing the quality of the of the cover. Uh, I think I probably because many authors uh, uh, work with me and because of my books did pretty well. I think my covers they must be to a certain level. I'm not saying I'm they're awesome, but they're good enough. So I know what I'm doing. It's just yeah, well, and also I've seen and I've talked with some people, they don't always understand that somewhere the title has to fit on there. Yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. So, because I'll have friends who go, what do you think of this? And I went, well, where are you putting your name and where are you putting your title? So, um, that, and I, I had one friend once joke that I should really just go by my nickname if I ever publish because my full name is so long. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. So, but no, I mean, and I, I think I actually did talk to somebody I met at a con briefly and they were like, yeah, no, I actually go by my nickname because I, his name was really, really long and it was like 10, over 10 letters. And then he had a long last name and he was like, there's, there's just no room on the cover for that. So this yes. is a sample example of some of his work. Let me see if I can zoom that in for you guys. I love it. And I can see the anime in there. Yeah, like the yes, this, one, this one especially. Yeah, there's a bit of macros in there. Yeah. I, and I am a huge macros fan, so huge. 
So, so yeah, it's, he's puts it's, the fair, though, it's, it's probably the only you, you probably picked one of the only ones that looks a little bit animated. They usually they usually don't. <laughs> I'm going to show a couple more real quick before we move on. Um, uh, but while we do that, while I pull those up, you had mentioned that you were going to be running some sales for your um, for your art as well. Did you want to talk about that? Yes, uh, I thought it would be fun to uh, provide uh, 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 listeners to the uh, of the podcast uh, a coupon. So my idea was that um, if you were interested in getting any of my covers, just mention to me in whatever uh, channel of communication, be it Facebook, uh, my contact page on christiancarias.com or carias.com because that's the same contact page, um, or uh, uh, by via email. Just mention uh, um, BB30, and I'll I'll give you 30 percent off your first cover. Cool. That's a good deal. And uh, I'm going to show one last one because this is my favorite from his pre-generated site, so I had to share it. It's just it's busy, but not too busy that you can't see it, and there's still room for you to put stuff like your name. And there's there's actually a spaceship house on this one too. What Mal said, maybe she's onto something. <laughs> but I just, I love all the detail. Thank and you. Even, yeah, even that's, the same, that's the same ship. That's the ship from uh, Earthless Sanctuary and the one that was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that red ship. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I recall that, seeing that kind of shape. The weirdest one I saw was, it was on an anthology I was in, put out by, oh, I'm John Blank, it was uh, Alien Days, and they actually had one of the Star Wars ships on the cover, but apparently the uh, Star Wars ship was made by a fan who had the right to license it. Disney okay. just started using it, but this guy's still selling it, so everyone's like, you can't have that on your cover, it's Disney, they're going to sue you. But I'm like, no, he had the rights to it. I do. amazing what those rights do. I do have a, a, a few ships that look like Star Wars ships, but they're they're not. I, I was very careful to make sure they're not actual like Star Destroyers or whatever. But some of them look a little. Usually they're not the 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 the, the point of focus though. They're like in the background of something. Yeah. But uh, in in uh, I think it's uh, it's evident on on book four. There's uh, in the first first iteration of uh, of uh, Earthless Sanctuary also because I I remade that cover. The, the one that you see from now, the one, the Earthless Century Definitive Edition, I took many of the elements from the cover, but I added the cockpit in front and I added more fighters and it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different cover from the original. Yes, that one. It's a, it, it's the ship, the main, that main scorpion ship, like I call it, um, the, that one is the same, same position uh, and, and the other ships around it uh, uh, some of them are also from the original cover, but I added some stuff. I, re I I subtracted others, and I made a little bit of space also, so I can add the I can add the the cockpit, the cockpit view. Because after all, my main character is a he started as an ace pilot, so I thought that it's a good thing to have a cockpit point of view. You also like had that. some that I've seen in advertising that actually almost look like they're animated, so like parts of it look like it's moving almost. You added an effect I've seen. Which I think is kind of cool. So, yes, yes, I, I do, I do. That's one. It's. I also propose that as an option on on uh, on on, on Is uh, I can I can actually once the cover is finished, I can add a few layers animated, so you can actually use that as your as a Facebook post, and it's going to attract a little bit more attention because there's going to be a little bit of movement. Oh yeah, and no. it worked because it got my attention. 
but uh, <laughs> I'm easy to impress, as Doc keeps telling me. No, so, no, 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 no. You're easy to outmath. Yeah, blah. All right. So, um, how did you come up with the idea for the universe of flames, um, specifically book one, which is Earth Last Sanctuary? Where did you get the premise for this series? Okay, so the, the original premise comes from uh, when I wanted to do that uh, uh, that uh, real-time strategy uh, video game, though not much survived from that. Like I, the, the main, if you, if you want, it's the main tropes that are still there, like the, the ancient enemy rising from the ashes when we thought they were dead. That, these tropes, I kept them, but since I'm a, I'm a pantser, I just went with the stuff that I love, and uh, I think... On some on some level, you, you can you can find some Top Gun also in in the first book uh, because that's kind of the personality that is the ace pilot that knows better that flies that flies his own he has his own way of flying that goes against the book but is uh, a genius so he makes it work so that's that's where it started and when I started Earth Last Century uh, Universe in Flames in general. I wasn't exactly sure how long the series would go, probably three, four books in my head. But as I'm as I pence my way through books, I kept adding so many elements, so many new characters, so many new concepts that, it, that these stories took a, a life of their own. And uh, we're at book 15 and I'm not done yet. Wow. Wow. Um, that happens. Sometimes you just get hooked. So normally we would ask you to tell us the story of this cover, but you sort of already did that. So what I'll ask you instead is we mentioned some authors will change the story to match the covers. Did you find yourself doing that as you're making your covers in later books, making them more aligned? No, there were a couple of times where I was like, hmm, now I made that character on that cover and he has an armor and I didn't mention the armor. Should I just go mention the armor on the in the book and sometimes i do add like three words here and there sometimes i don't <clears throat> okay most of the time I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna bother most of the time i'm not gonna bother I, I i i think the cover the main role of a cover is that it pops and grabs the attention and gives the the reader the envy to click on it and read the blurb to know what the book is about when you did that you did 99 percent of the job as far as the cover is, I don't think I've I've never heard any of my of my readers coming and saying, "Well, you see, in that book, I thought that this ship was that ship, and then on that cover, it's on a completely different ship." So I don't understand what is this scene represent. Nobody ever asked me that question. Okay, that's fair. So, do you normally write the cover the book first, or do the cover art as you're doing the book? Most of the time, most of the time, I will do the book first. Okay. And, and uh, when I craft the cover, I'm just going to go with my guts, try and do something that I like. And if it's easy enough that I can match maybe some details of the book, then I'll put it in. But I'm not, I'm not going to... Back when I did this one, Earth Last Century, even the previous version, which is pretty similar to this one if you remove the cockpit and and the background was a little bit darker but that's and you remove the 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 the, the, the five the four um, uh, star fighters in front of the cockpit that's you get what the old cover was like so um for this one yes because that's a scene from the book but that's almost uh, and the second one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one and i think all the way to six i tried to match the concept 
not every single detail, but the concept was trying to match something happening in the book. I rarely do that now. Like, I'm just going to say, okay, there's going to be this character. But when I do put a character, I try at least 90% of the time that it's the character in the book, like the way I pictured it. In fact, the for book 15, um, that's going to release, uh, that's going to be released. Uh, uh, um, it's released already, sorry. Uh, for this book, I went with two versions. And uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or, or a bad thing, but I actually pushed book 15 the way it is in the series. And I made a limited uh, uh, special edition. Let's say it's not limited. It's a special edition. And that one has way more graphics in the book. So it has, it has I think, a total of uh, 11 posters. Some of them are, yeah. Some of them are, uh, um, uh, there's a couple of spaceship uh, uh, posters, like specs. You see them from different angles. And there's a, like there's a few information. It's it's not it's not a full spec sheet for the ship because that would take way more time probably. But it's I think it's, I still think it's something that the fan, the fans are gonna are, are gonna are gonna enjoy. And at the end of the book, there's uh, nine posters from the seven or nine posters actually seven posters uh, from uh, different characters. And these I actually spend a lot of time crafting them, so they are my visual interpretation of how these characters look in the book. So that was a titanic work. So I made two different editions, mostly because Amazon tends to take uh, delivery fees. When you put a lot of images, they, they, they just they just grab, they grab, they lower the, the amount of money they pay you. So I thought, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to do two editions, one with the, the images and one without. Um, it, at the end of the day, I don't know if it's a uh, Vellum or the, the app that I used to create the, the, the final book um, or what, but they were weighing way less than I thought they would. So I'll probably just lower the price of the of the the edition because there's not as much as a, I was expecting a, a bigger difference in terms of how much the delivery fee would uh, would end up costing. Okay. Obviously, there's also the amount of work just for book 15. There was three weeks, eight hours a day work no weekends where I just did all these all these illustrations. And on top of the ones that I mentioned, I made a mini illustration as a chapter editor for all 28 chapters. So that's that's a lot of work. Okay. So moving on to the story itself, what would your 30-second elevator pitch for uh, Earth Last Sanctuary be? Oh, 30 seconds. That's, uh, that's not long enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, if I was on the, like if if it was really thirty seconds, I would probably just use some of uh, the reviews that I got, even though I think it's an oversimplification of my work. But I've seen it uh, two or three times already, where people were saying that's basically Star Wars with Dragon Ball Z, the series, and I I can agree on on some level. There is some Star Wars. There is there is definitely some Dragon Ball Z in there too, um, uh, in terms of my inspiration, because these are probably my two favorite universe ever. So uh, so they're, they're, it is bleeding through. That's true. But I think that it resembles neither in terms of the story that I present, nor the fact that I'm, I'm um, putting a lot of uh, Greek mythology, mostly in the first seven books, 
And studying book seven or book eight, we also get North myth, myth, uh, Norse mythology. So first, it's mostly Olympus and the, the, the Greek uh, pantheon of gods, and then we get the Asgards. I like this. That sounds fascinating. So what is it you think that makes your series special? I used to think, I used to think that it was uh, the, the, the epic set piece, the, the nonstop action, and, and, and because I, I really like fast-paced uh, fast stuff. So I'm, I'm, you, with me, you're not going to get uh, into a room and, and three pages later, something's going to happen because I'm not going to describe that room. I'm going to let you make your own picture of that room. I'm just going to go straight to what's going to happen inside the room and, or inside the situation. And uh, I used to think that was what made them special, but so many of my readers tell me that they've grown so attached to my characters uh, to the point where they feel like they're members or they are the, of their family or really close friends that I guess it's uh, probably a mixture of both. The fact that it's, I always try to go epic, large and uh, high stakes, but at the same time, it's all boils boils down to to the characters and what they go through. So I don't know. I think probably most of the books are like this. Like I don't think it is that special. The one thing that maybe is special, and I'm not even sure of that because maybe there are books out there that are exactly like mine, but I haven't read them, is the way I rewrote the mythology. Like I, I didn't just take the mythology the way it was and try to echo it. Exactly. I I just said okay. This is the these are the bases. Zeus is the 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 the, the big the main guy at the uh, at the Olympians. He's the king of Olympus. But and yes, Athena is his daughter. And I I tried to keep only the family uh, uh, tree uh, intact. But everything else, I just remade my own mythologies, my own stories with it. Like I, they're they're just. Um, more advanced alien species roaming the stars. They are not, we, we humans consider them gods, but they're just other humanoids with different powers and their deeds or whatever inspired our, leg our legends, but uh, they're not gods per se. They're just more advanced. So did you watch Stargate then? Because they used to... Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, while I was saying that, I was like, but that's Stargate. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you can, add, okay. that my, okay. you can add, add that to my list of religions too, yeah. Yeah, I, I love Stargate. Stargate. Absolutely love Stargate. Did you watch uh, Stargate Universe? I did. That's my least favorite one, however. Oh, we were so close to being best buds with the romance was almost there. We almost had that bromance. And then you're like, okay. oh, sorry. Sorry, the, show, the show, the show got canceled. I mean, we got the announcement of the show being canceled on the episode. I finally started liking the show. Oh, so, <laughs> fair, fair. when that happens. Stupid, stupid television producers. Yeah, so. no, it is. It is. It is a nice. I mean, I'm sure if I rewatch it, I will. I will enjoy it more. It's just it was too much of a departure from the spirit of the first two series. And it was more of a Battlestar Galactification of Stargate. And I love Battlestar Galactica. I love the darker tone. I love that these elements. I just thought I, it, it didn't click with me on Universe. Not right away, anyway. When it did, they canceled it. Yeah. I, I think it's when you take a series, particularly like a TV series or a media series, where um, this is going to sound really mean. I don't think the fans 
work or attach necessarily as quickly to it. Like with books, there's a level of nuance and you get attached to some of the characters. You, Depending on how the authors write, you are literally in that character's head. Um, that when you you kind of take a 90 degree turn, the fans don't always stay with you because they're not always willing to do the work to see if you're where you're going for it. Does that make sense? Yes, like, it does. And uh, in fact, in fact, I have a, I can make a, a parallel with my series with that because Earth Last Century is a very military sci-fi kind of space opera mm -hmm. where there's, no, there's only mentions of powers. There's no powers per se that are really shown, not many anyway. And that changes very fast during book two. So I was, when, I, when I pushed the, the publish button on book two, I was scared to death because we went from a bare bones sci-fi story to something that has a way lot more fantasy and way more powers in terms of what the characters can and cannot do. Yeah, but I, I like a good space fantasy when uh, it the author kind of knows it's a space fantasy. I drive the Star Wars fans nuts because I'm like, it's so it's a space fantasy. They're like, no, it's yes, not. But there, there is a rule that once you put a dragon in it, it becomes fantasy and no longer, it's no longer. There's no fantasy. such rule as that, JR. It all depends on the mechanics of the world. We're not going to torture it. So so in the they are dragons, so I'm screwed. It is fantasy. <laughs> well, she said you'd be in good company because Anne McCaffrey did put dragons in her alleged sci-fi. And that's like Doc's favorite book series ever. There so aren't many. I don't I don't want people to think that there are tons, but no. There's probably there's a little bit, especially in the sick there's they're more in toward the second season because I, I my arc I call them seasons. And uh, so the first 10 books are season one and the next books are season two. So there's more, there's more of a dragon, the dragon race, the, they're called the dragon men. They're mentioned in already in the first season, but we never see them. We actually see them in season two. Okay. Ooh, that sounds like fun. So, so in the side notes, you don't ever see dear listener because we can't figure out how to caption it. And we probably have to charge for that because the programs aren't free, but doc was just telling me, she thinks you're a lot of fun, Christian. And, and she, she thinks you should come to dragon. There's like 12 people to go. So you might find new readers. Oh, that would be, that would be, that would be great if they, if, if, if it's doable, if it's feasible, because uh, lately, let's just say that uh, traveling is a kind of, uh, it's gotten a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Well, at least there's, there's, there's like a year between now and then Yeah, we just did it, did, did the show. So, um, believe me, we're rooting for uh, things to be less complicated. So, um. But so you talked some about the tropes that you've already done, but and we've talked a bit about subgenres, um, but we haven't talked anything about your character. The main so, one. Your yeah. main character. Have you? Can you tell us a bit about your main character? Okay, so my main character is called uh, Chase Athanatos. Uh, that's a Greek name. It means immortal, and is uh, basically your typical rebel that doesn't like to follow orders. I wonder where he gets that from. And um, he's, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. Uh, and uh, um, he's, um, he's that, that type of hotshot maverick type of, uh, of, of pilot. So that's where we start with him. And uh, little by little he's gonna discover that he's actually not even 
the same race as the, the, the people he's fighting with. It's mostly uh, uh, because it's space fantasy and because it's uh, because I like these kind of tropes. It's basically an interstellar war between forces of darkness and the light. That's basically how I can put it. And is uh, 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 going to discover is different. And uh, with that will come new things. I, it's, it's difficult to say anything without spoiling spoiling. Uh, a future reader so oh yeah I don't, if I, I don't know if i can say more than that but let's just say he doesn't he starts somewhere and ends up completely at the opposite where he thought he would end up and we uh, don't want spoilers so, so i, yeah, I can understand that i think we all have that happen at times also to us in real life so you said main character but so there's secondary characters and right or oh, is it yeah. more of an ensemble okay. That's actually the bane of my existence right now at book 15 because I have more than 30, act, 30 uh, active characters. So uh -oh. writing, writing books is getting to be more and more complicated because I, uh, uh, I'm not going to red wedding them because that's not what I do. I'm actually probably more using uh, plot armor than I should because I, I really like my characters. But uh, it's, it's becoming really hard to actually cater to all the, the secondary characters. Uh, so there will be there will be books where I'm 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 making a conscious decision. Okay, these five characters, I'm just, maybe they're gonna have a line or two, but that's it. Because otherwise, otherwise I'm never gonna be able to 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 fit that in. And uh, uh, and I do a lot of webbing where there's like two, three, four, five different sub stories, and they have to all get back to the main story at the end. So if I mo if I add just one more of these to my writing process. Uh, uh, my books are going to take even longer than they do now because so I think that's one of the reasons why I don't write as fast as before is that, that the cast has kept growing and growing. So have you thought about spinning them off into their own unique series? Yes, I have. But I do. I do. I did. I did. It's just that uh, the way I write uh, this particular series, they almost never have time to do anything. So I, I, I don't. I, I rarely do that many days or that many weeks or that many. It's it's more like uh, if you watch 24, it's more like it, it, it just follows and follows and follows. Sometimes the cliffhanger of one book and the the, the, the first the first the first words from the next book, they, it, it's there's five literally five seconds between these two, so that makes it way more difficult to find pockets of space where I can do that. So. It sounds awesome, but I definitely can understand and sympathize with the cast of characters growing too much. Um, so, G, can you tell us a bit about your bad guys? Without, without giving away too many spoilers. Yeah, without spoilers, that's going to be difficult. Uh, there are bad guys, obviously. Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to say, um, I'm going to make the Again, I'm going to make the 24 uh, parallel here, where during the season, you th when, when the season starts, you think this guy is the bad guy, and then he dies, and then this guy is the bad guy, and then something happened, and this guy is the bad guy. And sometimes all, all the way up to the penultimate episode, it's only then that you know who the real bad guy is. So it's kind of a little bit like this, and I'm not surprised because, funny tidbit, uh, when, I was, uh, uh, when I was writing book, when I was finished writing book seven and I was about to launch it, I was working on the cover and on the marketing and on everything. And I was tired because I had I had overworked for weeks. And um, 
I, on the back here, you can probably see there's a projector here, there. My, uh, there, there you go. So on top of my three screens where I work, I have a white wall. So sometimes I will project stuff on top of my, on top of it, just as the like, like if you would turn on the TV to have something in the background. I do when I write. I don't do that because I cannot have myself writing while other people are having dialogue. That doesn't work. But I will listen to heavy metal, no problem. That's not gonna help. That's not gonna be a, an issue. In, sometimes might even help. But when I edit or when I do graphics or when I do that type of job, sometimes when I'm tired uh, uh, mentally, uh, it helps me to just like rewatch something that I know by heart. So that's going to my go to's are going to be Babylon 5, Stargate, Star Trek. I'm just going to put these in the background. I know them so much that they, they don't even take zero dot zero zero one percent of my CPU, if I can call my brain that. And um, and I was doing that work on 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 uh, book seven uh, Armageddon Unleashed, and th and then I stopped and I was looking at the show and I'm like, I think 24 played a huge role on how I actually develop my my books, like the way I split between the different stories and how I always kind of leave mini cliffhangers even in inside the bo the book, so you go back from one like you follow thread one and at the end of that. That, that chapter, there's like a mini thing, something's going to happen, but you're going to have to wait because now we're on thread two and then on thread three and then on thread four and we go back and rewatching the show like this, I was like, I caught that subconsciously, I caught that from 24. Okay. And, uh, and I think it's, it, uh, it, uh, and, and for the bad guys, there is kind of something similar also. I would say that without giving too much spoilers. Okay. They're usually quite interesting and quite multifaceted, and and there's I, I really like my bad guys, but uh, uh, and I think most authors do, but <laughs> the the yeah they're yeah I don't know. So there's a question I love to ask because I think it's always a funny one to see. Um, if your characters met you in a back alley and they knew who you were, how would you fare? Like they knew you were responsible for them. Okay, so if they knew that I, if they knew that I was responsible for some of their stuff, like Chase would probably beat the shit out of me. But <laughs> I don't think he would be very happy with me. Uh, let's just put it that way, without going into too much spoilers. I don't think Chase would be very happy with me because I don't, I don't tend to write the. I'm not. I'm not a fan of uh, of a story that has to absolutely end as a happy ending it hasn't happened for me for me uh war is uh, is not uh, war has its consequences uh you can achieve victory and that's actually i think the hook for my last book in the series in the in the season is a uh, victory as a prize and uh well definitely chase pays multiple prices for whatever he goes through i mean he's a great guy i think he's a Hero type, but I didn't want. I didn't. I, I, it's not the kind of things that, that I, for me it wouldn't be realistic if everything just ended so well, just perfect and nice and colorful and everybody's happy and 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 then you have like a, a Jawas playing music and 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 you know what I mean fireworks in the background. I was never a fan of these additions to the the end of the. I mean the playing the music is fine, but 
showing all the the partying at the end during when when he re, when he added these yeah. elements i wasn't a fan of it because uh that's trying to make it too much of a happy ending well and i think in some ways it can cheapen um the overall result yeah and whatever the characters might have went through also i mean yeah whoever they may have lost along the way yeah. and then so no, normally we also like to ask because some you're a pantser, so this might apply. Were there any cool scenes or ideas from this the first novel, Earth Lost Sanctuary, that you cut that might be kind of cool to tell us about? Because um, since you you write as you go, I imagine there's plenty of room for you to. Oh, there's plenty cut. of room where I want to go somewhere, and in the end, I don't go there. Um, Earth Lost Sanctuary, no. Uh, Universe in Flames, yes. So there's okay. been there's been there's been ideas that I had. Um, that I was hoping to make work. Like for example, uh, before before I wrote Earth Last Century in 2002, I published a 30, 30 book, 30 pages. It's like a comic book because it's in color, but it's a manga style. So okay. it's called it's called the Curian Chronicles, and it's in a fantasy world. But there's a link with my universe. Like it's in, it, it happens in on the same timeline as Earth, as a well, universe in flames. And I always wanted to link these two. Like in my, it was my idea that I will come to a point in the story where I can actually do a time travel trick, where I can go and do the Kyrian Chronicles, and return back to and maybe make a synergy between a sci-fi and fantasy and have actually two series and have, have a synergy between the two of them and i had multiple ideas and but every time i looked at it from the perspective of um uh, scheduling like i'm already not such a prolific uh, author i mean i can write a book within three four months but rarely earlier than that so i was worried that if I did jump from one universe to the other, I would lose, I would lose uh, uh, too too much of my audience, and that has happened actually, and had nothing to do with this. It's just that when I wrote Far Beyond, the other series, my second series, I noticed that I had a hard time trying writing both of them at the same time, or one and, and the other, and it, it it ended that that in between book ten, which is the last of uh, season one, and book eleven, I think they were. 12 or 13 months, and that was the longest that ever happened in my series. And I can tell you in terms of sales, I've, I've noticed that season two has been way less, uh, uh, has been selling way less than season one. And I think that's partly because I went far beyond, which is a completely different story. It's more, um, it's more young adult, uh, I don't want to say tongue in cheek, but it's more lighthearted. Uh, it's, a, it's also a space opera. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of reference to uh, pop culture uh, and uh, the action movies of the 80s and the 90s, Aliens, Predator, so on and so forth. So there there is a, and there's a lot more video game elements also into that series. Into that series, we're we're following uh, Kevin who is 18 years old and uh, he's thrown in the middle of an intergalactic war and. Uh, uh, whenever, whenever he has to deal with something, it's mostly what he knows from pop culture that comes in to, to, to do. So it's a different. It's really, it's a, they're different enough that I got new readers for Far Beyond, 
and I got some that are crossing in both universes. But uh, 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 I think the fact that I spend too much time in between book 10 and 11 is a decision that, that today I regret. I think I should have finished first at least season two before venturing to another series. So you mentioned the time it takes you to write a book. So how long are your books? Okay, so they it depends. Um, I would say on average 80, 85,000 words. That's an average for the series. But uh, you have books on uh, season one that uh, clock at 115, I think. The last one, I think, is 115. So it's a much longer book. You have shorter books, too. Now they tend to be a little bit shorter. Now they're more around the 65, 70 mark. Um, that's for Universe in Flames. Far beyond, because it's more lighthearted and there's way less threads and there's way less characters, they're shorter books. They're 45, 50, 50K. So for those of you who don't translate the number of thousands of words to the number of pages, that's roughly 275 to 300 page range is what he's, he's saying is normal. Because you average between 250 and 400 words per page, depending on font size. That and all sounds like a normal size book to me. Yeah, it's, it's pretty normal. Some indies uh, try to keep up with Brandon Sanderson and write like a 250,000 word chapter. And Don't, don't do that. Just write your story that is appropriate to what you're doing. So yeah. you've told us a little bit about the universe, but you mentioned the gods. How much of a role do these, uh, these gods that are just aliens play in the story? Are they it's part major. of a larger arc? It's major. Oh, yeah. They're, they're still they're, they're, they're throughout the series, and it's major. Yeah. All right. Because we, then, then we will move on because I don't want any spoilers. Um, Last Sanctuary is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon, and you've told me there are 15 books out. But is their story done? What do you see coming next? Okay. Uh, the story is not done, but the arc for season two is coming to a close. I think book 15 was the penultimate uh, uh, book. So the, the next one should finish season two. Now, on some level, it may actually finish or Universe in Flames, but I don't I never say never because I'm not done with this, uh, with this uh, cast of characters. Uh, not by a long shot. I even have prequels in the work. I already have some prequels written. It's just I don't have enough of them because I want, whenever I'm ready with the prequels, I want to kind of uh, a rapid release. So unless all the prequels are written, um, I'm probably not going to release them. So I don't, because I, I'm not going to be sure whether or not I'm going to have the time to just follow up if, let's say, the prequel, they like the prequels. So... And the prequels they came about because I wrote, I want one of my magnets um, uh, was Wings of Destiny, and Wings of Wings of Destiny is uh, five years before the events of Earth Last Century, uh, when uh, Chase and his friends are actually still at the academy, still learning how to be uh, starfighter pilots, and um, it's a 17, 18,000 words uh, uh, novelette, if you wish that uh, sets sets the character before we meet him in Earth Last Century. We, we figure out some of his uh, flaws, let's say, in, in his personality, where they come from. But I found it really interesting to write the character nowadays back before all the stuff that happens in the series. So now I'm actually writing more episodes, and I'm calling them episodes because they will probably be shorter. They will probably clock around 40, 50K also, pro probably max. 
Um, also because I want to focus on a on the on a tighter set of characters. I want to focus on uh, Chase, which is the main character. Daniel is best friend, which is the main character, is a secondary character, but is always there. The captain of the series, Captain Sarudis, that's on la in last in both Wings of Destiny and Earth Last Century. I also want to focus on on these characters. So, and because there's no there's not all the events. Again, I'm trying to be really careful with spoilers here. There's not all the events and all the craziness that happens in the main series. I'm trying to be to have this more more of a show about yeah space pilots in a in a in a in a galactic war, but within the confine of the story that we can deduce or know some of it from Universe in Flames. Okay. So it's so I'm not done. If you wish, I will re revisit with these with these prequels. I will re revisit the universe, and and uh, they may even become the new starting point at one point. I don't know because it, I think I think I I think I like the idea of of uh, of uh, having these books eventually becoming the new book one, if you want. But um, for book sixteen, my idea is to close season two to bring it to a close. But I know that there's a lot of things that need to happen for that to not be rushed. We're never rushing anything. So if it takes two books, if it does take two books to finish the series, what will happen is that there will be two books if it's needed. They just they're gonna release together. I'm not gonna do what I did with uh, season one, which I think also maybe some people didn't like because I did something that I never thought I would. I put part one into the title, and because I was already I was already at. Uh, I think 100,000 words, and I was like, well, I need another 100,000 words to finish the story, so I'm going to release this one and call it part one. And uh, I saw a drop in sales. So because people were like, well, I'm going to wait for part two, but by the time part two landed, maybe they just moved on to another series. I'm, I'm just speculating here. I'm just telling you what my stats shown. So, um, and I didn't need to do to put part one because there was it wasn't, uh, it's just that I thought because on book eight, I told them book nine will, nine will probably be the last one for the for the season. And because I didn't want to be a liar, I just added the part one. But it was just another book. And there was a need for another one to really. If you're liars, you give them more books instead of less. I can guarantee you no reader will ever care. OK, <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. It's just it's a shame if, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 percent of them moved on because they were like, I'm going to wait for part two. And and then they forgot that. There was even in part one. One of the things that I, um, I think probably one of my favorite marketing things that made me laugh the hardest was I read, there's a trilogy called The Witches of Elenia, and it was supposed to be a trilogy. And the back of book two said, don't forget to pick up the exciting conclusion of the trilogy. And you're reading this. <laughs> and I was, I was like 14 or 15 at the time. And I remember, it's the first time I remember actually criticizing either marketing or storytelling. And I was like, um, the only way for her to do this is if a meteor destroys everything because then it doesn't matter. So, and sure enough, there were seven books in the series. So her seven book trilogy. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a trilogy. Yeah. My third, my, because, uh, uh, I, I, Universe in Flames took off in 2017 when I released my first trilogy. That's when it went bestseller. It's, mm -hmm. it, I, I, I just, I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, honestly, I didn't expect that because, okay, I had book sales. I was doing okay. I wasn't doing good enough to be 
full-time author i still was because back then i was married and while well, we were sharing the we were separated but still married and we were sharing the load so we we made it work but in 2017 all of a sudden i became number one in i don't know like seven categories i passed in front of uh, of um uh, timothy zan i mean i remember i will remember that always I'm at Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm watching the movie. I'm loving the movie. And when the credits roll, uh, my, my friend and editor, she told me, just watch the movie. Just don't look at your rank. Just watch the movie. And I, I said, that's a good idea. So I put my phone in my pocket and I didn't want. But when the, the credits started rolling, I took my phone out and I looked and I was in front of Timothy Zahn, which is one of my favorite authors. And I'm like, I'm in front of him in the charts. And I was like, I even make it a little pun that was I dethroned him. And I was, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so I will remember that moment forever, forever. So since then, since I did the trilogies, um, that's when sales really picked up. And well, since I had book nine and then I needed a book 10 to finish, my third trilogy is actually a quadrilogy because it has book seven, eight, nine, and 10, but I still called it the third trilogy. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Okay. So, uh, what kind of technology, and if we've got God's magic, can we expect from these books? Okay. So, in terms of technology, um, it it plays an important role in the in the in the same way it does in Stargate. Like every time there's a problem and Rodney has to fix it, or you know, or Sam has to fix it. So there's that kind of that kind of element you'll find in Universe in Flames, where it's the upgrades on on how to defeat a certain tech from the from the bad guys. That's uh, uh, prevalent throughout the series, and still to this day, on the last book that I, that I just published, that that still happens. So there's a lot of uh, of uh, uh, now whether or not it's uh, something new or revolutionary, I don't know. I don't think so. But there's a mixture between the way technology is used and the way strategy, like how do you use that technology to achieve victory? So how much magic is in your universe? I'm always curious to see if is it like, is it a high magic, low magic? Like, does everybody do it? Is it rare? No, uh, there's only a few races that have magic, what you would okay. consider magic, magic powers. Um, they're basically as strong as Saiyans honestly so that's the level of magic you can uh, you can expect they can definitely destroy entire cities or 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 planets for that matter so that was also a little bit of an issue at one point i was like well i'm getting the same problem that we get on on shows like dragon ball z is that if you your character can do that then what's the next threat so very early on i had to find a, an explanation uh, to uh, like to make sure that some characters cannot use their powers in certain situations. Let's just say they are not allowed to use their powers in outer space. I'm explaining why. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But that's because otherwise, otherwise the guy would just go outside and destroy an entire fleet. And let's let's move on. Yeah, you that, have would, to find that wouldn't be interesting. That wouldn't be interesting. No, so it's an, boring. Yeah, there is a there is an explanation that I think works really well. Why, why they cannot do that. So they can do that on the surface of a planet, not in outer space. Interesting. So 
of all the magic or tech you've developed for your universe, which would you use for daily use? Like, which one could you steal and use it? Or would probably, want to? Probably that's from far beyond, not from Universe in Flames. In Universe okay. in Flames, the one that I would use, the one I will tell that because I, I think it's funny, but in Universe, I, and I didn't invent it, it's called a food synthesizer. It's basically a replicator. So uh, I, I would use that because I'm, I'm such a lazy, I would, if I could just walk to the wall and say, uh, give me some Kung Pao chicken, I would do it right now. So. <laughs> I love to cook, and I would still do that because I hate to deal with the dishes. Okay, I, I hate that. I hate that too. And even the dishwasher, it doesn't matter. I, I hate that too. But I love to cook. I love to cook. It's just I'm, I'm not taking the time to cook. Like I'm, whenever I think, like I'm, I'm like, okay, now I would really love some sushis and let's say vegan sushis because in Greece I have no idea where I could find the right grade of uh, fish, so I would never even try. I would just do something with vegetables, which I, I would enjoy just the same. I do it from time to time, like once a year or twice a year, because the amount of work uh, and uh, and I um, I've made I will, sushi from scratch. It's a I lot of Hiroshima, I will Hiroshima my entire kitchen. That's the problem. So and then there's gonna be like I'm gonna be too tired to clean it up, and the next day is gonna be three times the work because I waited the next day to clean it up. And uh, so that's why I don't. I mean. If somebody comes at home, I will absolutely love cooking a meal for them. I would love that. But for myself, I'll be like, eh, you can do a quick salad or a quick sandwich. It gets the job done, you know? So yeah. that's that's why if I had a replicator, uh, that thing would get used all the time. That's how I would do things. But on the technologies that I created, probably somebody thought of it too, but is uh, Kevin uh, gets uh, uh, a Ninite armor, which is basic. It's basically the uh, an armor that gives him the power of the T1000 in uh, Terminator. So he can morph into he can morph into whatever he wants. So he's gonna morph into a, 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 a Xenomorph. And and if you get the if you get the, the the image of the black thing with the mouth in the mouth, you'd be right. He's gonna morph. He's going to morph into a dragon. He's going to morph into a giant anime robot. He's going to morph into whatever he wants. So, and, and animals as well. So that actually would be really cool because you could morph into anything. So you would, you could be somehow like, a, oh, actually, it is not nothing new. You could be like Odo in a, in a Deep Space Nine. Like you could take whatever shape you want. Uh, yeah. It's just that the, it, the technology goes farther in the fact that it would be more like Odo with the power of the Green Lantern because whatever he thinks of, also technologically, whatever weapons he muster in his imagination, the, the, nan, the nanites in his armor are going to make it happen. That's cool. Um, so we've talked, you've mentioned that you have aliens and fantastic creatures. Uh, did you? How did you go about designing them? Were they inspired by nightmares? A lot of heavy metal rock. Hmm. No, not not specifically. The the the. I guess the the bad guys in season two. You could find them in your nightmares, most likely. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> in season one, uh, not so much. In season one, it's just different alien races uh, that do whatever power play they do for their grasp of power for their own reasons. Uh, but they don't have a physicality to them that uh, 
there's there's the inhabitants of the, the that scorpion ship on the cover they are kind of uh, uh, lizard-like. So these are there are a couple of scenes where I wrote it a little bit like a like a, a, a scenes of horror from time, especially from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have a power, doesn't have powers. So they have these really strong me metal-like uh, um, scales. So even if you shoot them, that just bounce off of them. So they're difficult to kill. So yeah, uh, but these guys are they they they're just. They're not even that important, let's say, in the grand scheme of things. Okay. That was a lot to take in, but I like it. And I would definitely abuse if I could morph into anything. I'd never wait in line again. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing the army breeds into you is to hurry up and wait. So if I had yeah. a way to cheat the line, I mean, we just might we might go a little crazy. Um, but then, then that might make us the bad guy. So I don't know. That's so, the thing. That's the thing. It's you always you always have to you have to wait. Like, okay, I could have that super cool power, but uh, am I going to abuse it? And am I am I going to turn into a super villain doing it? All right. So uh, since clearly this is uh, winding down, we spent a little bit of time talking about your cover, so we went a little bit long. But I'm sure our listeners are okay with that. Uh, before we wrap this up, was there anything about Universe in Flames or more specifically Earth Lost Sanctuary that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we move on? Earth last century in, in in particular? No, I don't think so. Like uh, like I said, it's uh, Earth last century. I really gets the space opera uh, type and military sci-fi uh, fans will definitely enjoy it. It's it's it has that vibe. Um, uh, just going forward, now you know. At least it's a sm some small spoiler. We have some very powerful powers coming into play. Um, it's funny to see how the readers have reacted to that. You have the crowd that knows and have seen Dragon Ball Z, who, who are like, oh, that's, that's so cool, it's like Dragon Ball Z. And you have the other crowd who are like, oh, it's like Marvel. Because they're like, they're not, they're not exposed to Dragon Ball Z. So for them, it's, they're more like superheroes. Like they think my characters are superheroes. They have, Superman is mentioned from time to time also. So yeah, that's the funny, the funny thing. Are they, um, are they available in audiobook? Uh, they used to be. Uh, they used to be, uh, uh, I had them with Tentor, but uh, now I got my rights back. They're, they're, I don't have an exact timetable, but they're, they're going to be released soon. Okay. Do you know? Maybe, maybe, even, maybe even this or next month, but I don't have an exact date. So I don't want uh, people to think that they're, they're going to be right there, but they're, they're down the line. They're in, they're in the works. And uh, definitely by the end of the year, you'll see them. Uh, you'll see them attached to the book, yeah. And I way, way, way prefer this narrator. Way. Can you tell us who the narrator is? Uh, he's called uh, Zach Zachary Johnson. Huh. Okay. I've heard of him. I will check it out. All right. This and, is a good uh, time to remind you, dear listener, that uh, this is going to be airing on the sixth, on the seventh. That's tomorrow. Uh, he tomorrow. Will have a couple, his couple of his books are going to be free, so you should check out his. Yeah. What's going to happen is one book free, so you're going to have book eight free, and uh, you'll have uh, the, first, the Olympus Rising one to seven box set is at zero ninety nine. So for ninety nine cents, I think that comes out around twelve cents uh, a book. When you grab book eight, you get eight books, probably three thousand five hundred pages or so, or something like that, or so three thousand pages. Okay, so when you do your bundles, do you put new short stories in it, or is it just bundling it together? 
Okay, so uh, in the trilogies, in the trilogy format, no, it's just bundles. Uh, in my box sets, yeah, there's extras that, in, so, in some cases, you used to only find them in these box sets. There's extra stories. For example, I mentioned Wings of Destiny. It was only released in the box in the in those box sets. Okay. So, and there's more. There's even more. The the Olympus Rising actually has a a, a story of. Uh, but I cannot say without spoiling, but there's a there's an interesting extra story there that was only published and still to these days only published in uh, in Olympus Rising. Okay, so this is the part of the uh, I remind you, dear listener, um, that uh, I'm assuming you're listening because you're readers as well. Um, so when you finish your book, please be kind and speak your mind on those reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. Uh, I've even bought some off of zero stars or one star, excuse me. I guess they don't really let you do zeros. Uh, said this was like, um, what was it? A 12 year old wrote gun porn. And I'm like, dude, sign me up. Pew, pew all the way. Um, and I actually had that same reader review mine accordingly. This 12 year old with ADHD wrote military sci-fi. And I'm like, yeah, it's accurate. So, oh, they know yeah, you. It's like, they know me. And maybe it was my mom. I don't know. But uh, so, so your reviews matter. And, and even if you don't like it, if you can be constructive and why you can either help the authors you're reading get better or help the right readers find books that just weren't for you. And sometimes that happens and uh, life's too short to read bad books. So uh, share your thoughts and it helps everybody. So as we bring this to a close, Christian, can you tell everybody how they can reach you? And as usual, it will be in the show notes. Okay, so you can reach me on my main website, which is christiancalias.com. Um, that's the main place to contact me. The, it's also, the links are obviously also in all of, all of my books. Um, you can find me on Facebook as well. Uh, the, the, I think it's easier that you get the, the, the link from, uh, from the show notes. And um, for covers, it's, it's just calias.com. All right. And if you use the BB30, uh, you will get 30. Just mention that and I'll be happy to to get you 30% off your first cover. All right. And you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades. We're over on the Twitters at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Fox trot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. That is blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. All hate mail can go to Seska at blastersandblades.com uh, we can have all of the shenanigans if you want to join us in our Facebook group facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast and finally you can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley put in the comment section that is for the podcast uh, we will keep our co-host Nick Garber and Doc Sasta duly intoxicated. They will drink Never. until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. Uh, and you can also support us over on Anchor at .fm backslash Blasters. Again, Jack Blades, your uh, your contributions help keeps the light on, pays for the overhead. Uh, so you know, reach out. And if you've got any suggestions on who you want us to interview next, you can also suggest that I'm I'm willing to stalk and, and reach out to everybody. We've got a few open requests from some of the bigger name authors that you know might take a while to finagle. But if you've got others you want, just reach out and let us know. And if you want to tell Seska why pineapple on pizza is evil, be sure to do that in the Facebook group too. Oh, Kitty. I suggest this guy for the next interview because he's uh, he likes to talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doc, you ready to bring us home? Now that you're yeah. going goo-goo for the kitty? 
Thank you for spending your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, J.R. Handley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, where we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, pineapple on pizza, torturing J.R., and all things that go boom. I love pineapple pizza. See? Thank you, for, thank, you, thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's one of my favorite toppings. I don't know See? that I can stand in the same room with Hold them anymore. You. <laughs>